This episode is sponsored by Visual Media. Are you an entrepreneur or a small business looking to take your brand to the next level? Then Visual Media is the service for you. Visual Media is a video production company who specializes in creating high-quality visual content for social media, websites, and online courses. Head over to Visual Media on Instagram and drop Resilience in their DM to get started. That's V-Z-U-A-L-M-E-D-I-A underscore to get started. What's up, everyone? This is Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown, the number one podcast for anyone looking to have a greater human experience. What's going on, everyone? We are back with another episode of Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown. And today, our very, very special guest, girl, Mm, it's been years. And I... I'm so happy to see your face. You know, I've never stopped following you. Uh, let me let everyone know who you are. This is Carolina Pavelic. She, we met while I worked at JCPenney. She worked at Sephora. This was in 2012. I think so. Yeah, the 11, 12, some somewhere in that range. And we've just, you know, life happens. But yeah. You've yeah. been someone that I've been, I've never stopped, like lost, you know, contact with completely um, and never someone I want to. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. And just to kind of follow up too, I've been watching you and I'm just so proud of what you're doing and, and what you become. Like, I just, I love watching what you're doing. And you, I'm so- you, you, you knew me back then. <laughs> and you knew me. I was, you know, whole different. <laughs> but yeah so I am a type 1 diabetic I'll just dive right into that uh I was diagnosed very very young at four years old and I've been through my fair share of ups and downs and complications and uh some pretty pretty crazy things so my goal right now is you know, just to be able to help others. I've been able to get myself back on track. I'm engaged. I have a son and I just want to be here to help people. And, and, and almost one of those, like I've done it so you don't have to kind of thing. So I want to make sure that the things I went through as far as complications, if I can help other people not experience that, that's, that's my goal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's just jump right in. Can you explain to our listeners, our viewers, what is type one diabetes. Sure, so type one diabetes, we used to think it only occurred in young children. So that's why it's called juvenile diabetes, but you can get it at any point now. There are 20, 30 year olds that are being diagnosed. And essentially what happens is uh, diabetes type one is an autoimmune disorder. So your body essentially attacks your pancreas, your pancreas organ that creates insulin. So your body goes, this is not supposed to be here and your pancreas essentially dies. So we have to manually inject insulin uh, every single day without fail, every time we eat. And sometimes hormones, stress uh, can raise your blood sugar for no reason. So it's a constant monitoring every single day. Uh, And for those of us that are lucky enough, uh, we have an insulin pump, which does a lot of the work for us. So that's a huge game changer now with um, like a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor, it tests your blood sugar every five minutes. 
and then your pump will adjust the insulin rate as you go. So it takes a lot of guesswork out of it and it really, really is a, a huge help. So yeah, essentially our pancreas doesn't work and we have to be our own pancreas. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, do you still have your pancreas? Is, is that something they take out or? I do have it. Yeah, you know, the hopes are that eventually, and, and it, this is being consistently working on, especially at Harvard, the hopes are that eventually they will create beta cells, which are the cells that insulin that can be basically injected back into your pancreas and your body will not attack them. So they're, they're left in, they're just kind of there. And the hopes is that one day uh, medicine will move forward and they can do something with it and kind of, you know, kickstart it back up. Gotcha. So basically like bring it back to life. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, you said an insulin bag. Is that something that's attached to you? Because I, I know that there's there's a lot of, like you said, guesswork, um, your diets, you know, what you ate, what you're going through at the moment, like that all plays a huge factor in those levels. So that bag, it's, is it attached to you, your body? Yeah, absolutely. That is like number one for sure. Yep. Um, diet is number one. Stress again is one, uh, hormones. So like for me, pregnancy, you know, your blood sugars go crazy. Um, even like for women, uh, during their cycle, blood sugars can be up and down, up and down. So yeah, it's, uh, the, the pump is essentially just on you at all times. There are some that are tubeless, which is nice, but this is on me all the time, unless I'm taking a shower or a bath or going in the pool, then it comes off for a little bit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and so, so you said you were diagnosed at four years old. Yes. Um, did your uh, parents, did they know like how to take care of you? And um, well, obviously they did because you're still here with us. Yeah. Um, but but what were some of the struggles and some of the challenges that your parents had um, as you were growing up? That's a great question. So I was diagnosed when we were still in Poland. I was born in Poland and uh, no one really knew what mm -hmm. it was. And, uh, you know, my mom was like, okay, one day I was just drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, like thirsty, 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 going to the bathroom, peeing, peeing, peeing. And she's like, okay, this is a number of times where it was crazy enough that she was like, I'm going to take her to the hospital. And, um, I remember the ambulance ride and, uh, they tested my, uh, they did blood work and they were like, her blood sugar is sky high. And basically I was in the hospital for, I think over a month at that point. And, uh, yeah, they didn't know anything about it. Like they were like, what's diabetes like from, from zero. So my parents just learned day by day. I mean, talking to doctors and, and other people, you know, and learning, you know, the, no internet back then. Right. So yeah, yeah, I'm amazed at what they did and how they did it and just, yeah, I'm going, you know, my mom says she sat me down when I was four and she was like, you have to take injections. And I was like, okay. And she was like, if you don't, you'll die. And she said that I just looked at her and I said, okay. And, uh, yeah, we just all learned together <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was very hard for them. And then once we moved to the U S which was very shortly after mm -hmm. we were able to see a really good endocrinologist, which is a doctor you go to with type one, type two diabetes, and, you know, they put me in the hospital again here, but they were able to kind of level my blood sugar out and they 
gave my mom all these books and things and, and tools. And, and yeah, it was just little by little, she learned more and more and more. And, and yeah, eventually, uh, you know, I think the biggest struggle for them was not having the knowledge, but also once I got a little bit older me wanting to have that freedom and wanting to be friends. And once I got into high school, I was like, I don't care about diabetes, you know, and, and it was bad after that. I'm sure we that too but uh I think that was hard for them when I eventually grew up and they were like we don't have her really under our wing anymore and I think it was hard for them to give up that control mm-hmm. yeah they wanted to make sure you were you were taking care of yourself yeah. or were you taking care of yourself I wasn't I went through a and I talk about this a lot too on my social media I went through a really bad burnout for about seven years uh I didn't care. I didn't test my blood sugar once. I guesstimated my insulin. I ate whatever I wanted. And for a while, everything was fine because the thing with diabetes is that the complications come a little bit later. So I started to feel the repercussions of that during my high school, you know, right out of high school days when I was like 21, 22. And it hit like a ton of bricks out of nowhere. So, yeah. What, 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 what was the worst thing that you you experienced at that time? Uh, the complication-wise? or yes. complication-wise. I think the... See, there's two that come to mind. So probably the worst was when I had a an infected blister on my toe that got really, really bad, and I ignored it, and I kept working and working and working, and one day I had really bad, like, flu symptoms. So I went to urgent care, and they looked at my toe and they were like, you need to go to the ER right now. And uh, once I got to the ER, they told me that I had gangrene and sepsis and uh, the flu-like symptoms were sepsis. So the infection was in my blood. And um, the doctor, I, I the doctor and I said, uh, can you save my toe? And he was like, I'm going to try to save your life. <laughs> and so... Uh, um, so that one, and then the other one was when I went completely blind. Uh, so that was, those are probably the two worst ones. <laughs> so, so you lost your toe. I did. I actually lost two. You um, lost two toes. One was just like a freak thing. I went to my doctor for a, it was like a little cut and I was like, um, I want to be sure this is okay. And he was like, you're, you're good. You know, it doesn't look bad. I'll give you antibiotics. They wrapped it up. Went back a week later for a follow-up. They unwrapped it and it had, the infection had gone into the bone. So they had to remove that toe as well. Oh my goodness. It's quick. It's quick. So yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. How, how has that affected you? If, if at all? Uh, it, you know, it has a lot. The biggest thing it's done for me is my confidence. So I, at this point, because I'm missing two toes, there's misalignment, right? Because I'm missing my second toe and my fifth toe. So it's not like it's even the last two. Uh, so my bones are shifting. My They're adjusting. It's getting, you know, it's painful to be on my foot. I can't wear heels. Um, so for me, as like, you know, superficial as it may sound, that's hard for me because I used to, you know, love to have outfits and heels and dress up. And now it feels like, I can't dress up and I can't wear what I want because I have to be usually in sneakers. You know, it's the safest for me. And uh, it's done a lot to my just like self-esteem, but also just 
the the pain and the the movement they're saying now that in order to readjust my foot they have to go in and break every bone in the midline and the recovery is 12 months so that's like the next step to fixing the alignment of the foot which is you know with a two and a half year old that's a big step so hey 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 did you know i wrote a book it's called the value method five steps to unlocking your greatest potential and in it i share just that five wildly easy actionable steps that will set you up to have a greater human experience daily i've included interactive worksheets and small assignments at the end of each chapter you're literally creating a living blueprint of your best life be sure to check out the show notes for the link to purchase your copy and a copy for a friend oh yeah is that something you're considering yeah for sure absolutely absolutely the fix you know they're like you know we can go in and do this little surgery where you'll be good for like four or five years but your foot will still shift but this one is basically like it's like regrowing your bones pretty much and readjusting your foot and then they're gonna like fuse bones together it's but you know for me I'm just like let's do the big surgery because what's the point you know I've been waiting absolutely the 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 magic of medicine man (laughs) No, isn't that, I'm like, what do you mean you're breaking your bone? They're like, oh yeah, we do the surgery all the time. And I'm like, (laughs) there's more than me just that needs the surgery. (laughs) Like this is, this is not something new. Oh my God. Yeah. Amazing. It is though. I'm so grateful that these things are, you know, that it's all moving forward so fast. And even just being able to have my eyes operated on and have my vision come back. Mm -hmm to me that that happened i know a lot of diabetics are not that lucky a lot of diabetics lose their vision permanently and that was the next question what was that like how long did you lose your vision for uh so i have diabetic retinopathy which is one of the complications from the blood sugars i had when i was in high school and after uh so essentially what that means is the blood vessels in my eyes are really really weak so where my eye calls for more blood they can't handle it and they burst. So when that happens, essentially the blood goes into my line of vision and I can't see. It's just complete blood. So I also had a scheduled surgery for my right eye. So they went in, what they do is they remove the jelly out of your eye and they replace it with like a saline solution. Uh, So they did that on this eye, which leaves you blind for about I would say three weeks until you start to kind of see. And then while they were in surgery on this one, this one hemorrhaged. So I had blood in this eye and this eye was healing from surgery. And so my vision was, uh, so normally they measure like 20, 20. Uh, I was 20, nothing. Like I, I couldn't see anything. So that was scary because the doctors tell you like the blood's going to clear and you're going to recover, but you wake up in the morning and it's not gone. And you're like, what if it doesn't? What if this is my life now? So yeah, that was, that had to be uh, something. I don't think I could imagine. Um, I like to, and, and I like to say, you know, I am blind because I, my eyesight is very bad. If I take my glasses off. Yeah. Um, my, I just, it's just really, really bad, but I couldn't imagine waking up one morning, you know, and reaching over for my glasses, put my glasses on, opening my eyes and there's nothing. Yeah. 
I know. And I couldn't before, you know, I, to me, I was untouchable. You know, I, I heard these horror stories of people going blind and losing their limbs, but that's not going to happen to me. And then it did, and you know, did. and how did your, your um, temporary blindness, did that impact your confidence as well? Uh, it did because, you know, to this day, I don't have great vision. I'm, I'm grateful for what I have. Um, I see a lot. I'm able to drive. Um, but they had to, because my, there was so much blood going into my eyes and my blood vessels were so weak. They actually went in and they cauterized the blood vessels. So I have no peripheral vision at all. So I only have central vision. So I see to about right here and like right here, Wow. you know, that's, it affected me in that I feel like, or used to, I'm working on it, but I used to feel like a burden on people because I can't drive at night. I have night blindness. Um, a lot of like things, if I'm reading, I can't read it. Like small print, I can't read and my eyes don't focus. Um, so I'm usually like, hey, can you read that? Or, you know, I used to work at uh, a bar in, in when I lived in Vegas and it was pretty dim and constantly I was like can you read that can you tell me what that says can you read that can you read that and luckily I worked with some really amazing people who were really helpful but you're like constantly asking for help and and you're just like I am such a burden on everybody and no one has ever said that to me but it's hard not to feel that way but uh, you have an incredible fiance of almost eight years and my family is here. So everyone's just like, just tell us what you need and we'll do it. You know, this is, this is life. This is where we're at, you know, and, and you're not blind anymore. So I'll take it, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How, how important was it for you to have such a strong and solid support system? I, you know, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine getting through what I did without, I just can't, I, I don't know that I would be here today. Uh, my fiance laid in the hospital bed with me when I had sepsis and I was being pumped full of antibiotics for nine days. He laid in the bed with me and, you know, he accepted me with, with all my flaws and he's been so good with helping me get on a better diet and, making sure I'm doing the right things and working out and, and he researches everything. And he's, he's like a pro in type one diabetes. Like, I feel like he knows more than me. He's like, well, that and then this and this and ABC. And I'm like, all right, all right. You know, uh, and with my family. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, I can't imagine being here without them. Even my friends, even people who along the way have helped me. And I had friends in Vegas who would take me to doctor's appointments and, I just, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. And every day I, I, I try to really remember how grateful I am because there are people out there, not even with type one, but just any, you know, disorder that don't have that help. And I, I don't know how, how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you never think it'd be you, right? You never think, oh no, not me, not me. I am and not necessarily invincible, but you can't touch me. Like it mm -hmm. won't happen. It won't happen to me. Mm -hmm. And then what a realization and what a wake up call when it happens. Yes. Um, your journey has come with so much. What is one thing that has helped you the most that you've done for you? As far as just my health in general? 
Yeah. I would say the biggest thing that's made a change is my diet. Mm. Really sitting down and I now have a dietitian and uh, I really watch what I eat. And, you know, it's an ongoing like joke in the community. Diabetes where people say, well, can you have that? And it's like, yes, I can have whatever I want as long as I, you know, am doing the right insulin dosages and this. But I've made it a point to really cut out the things that I know will affect me negatively. Mm-hmm. And even with like, so I have chronic kidney disease, which very likely comes with the diabetes. And so I've been able to reverse some kidney damage with my diet. I've been able to really stabilize my blood sugars. So there's no doubt in my mind that if I hadn't made this change, which was, I was pushed by my fiance to do it. And uh, I, don't, I think if I hadn't done it, I'd be in a much worse place right now than I am. So I would say just diet above all, just the foods that what I'm putting in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are you, what, what does your diet look like? Like, what are you eating for breakfast? For breakfast, so my diet is very basic, very boring, because for me, um, I think the best thing to do as a diabetic for my body is to have very similar foods every day so that you kind of know how they affect you. You know the carbohydrates, your body recognizes it, and it's, everything's very stable. So in the morning, I will usually have two eggs scrambled, uh, a couple pieces of turkey bacon, uh, tomato, avocado, and a fruit. So a banana, a pear, some berries. Um, So protein with a little bit of fat and some carbohydrates, which a lot of people are like, well, diabetics shouldn't have carbs. Blood sugars will be lower if you don't have carbs, maybe. But I've actually noticed once I've started eating carbs the right way, my blood sugars have been amazing. So it's, it's about how you do it. Hey, hey, hey. If you're enjoying this content, do not forget to rate and review. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, be sure to rate and review. It helps us reach more people in more ways. Now, let's get back to some resilience. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that's 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 good to know. And if anyone's listening who may be going through something like this, uh, that that is a great place to start. Um, your diet, your diet is so, so important. Um, I always say we are so um, worried about what we're feeding our minds that what we feed our body like gets neglected, neglected sometimes. Um, so it's yep. good to, to spend that and be mindful of your body and your, your mind. And speaking of your mind, what have what what have you done mentally? Because I know this had to this this. There's no way that this did not take a toll, right? I I know it has. Um. So what have you done, or what have you found that helps you and helped you um get to where you are today? That you you're talking about it, and you know you're you're trying to help other people. Yeah, absolutely. I I was at a place you know, back then when I had my toe amputated and I had my eye surgery and then it was like surgery after surgery after surgery. And I got to a point where I was like, I'm so tired. I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And it was like bad news after bad news after bad news. Um, and, and my fiance was like, why don't you 
post some videos about it. And I was like, no, no one cares. And that was the birth of my YouTube channel. So I sat down. Um, I had like a couple videos here and there, but I sat down in my bathroom, couldn't really see. I had my phone in front of me and I was like, I may be pressing record. I don't really know. I can't see. Uh, and I just cried on camera and I just talked about it and I posted it. And then I, people were asking for an update and I posted another video and another, and I now have about 20,000 subscribers and I have this wonderful little community that is so caring. And I have people emailing me and, and telling me that I help them so much because they're going through that same thing. And like we talked about earlier, they don't have that support. Um, so that was probably what for me, like mentally, I was like, I have to keep going. I have to get this out there. I have to help people um, because how selfish would it be to have this information and not share it and not help people, you know, not wake up in the hospital, you know, on your deathbed. So, uh, yeah, I think just social media, honestly, <laughs> uh, was a huge change for me mentally. It just kind of pushed me to keep going. And I was like, all right, I just got to keep putting myself out there. And and now I love talking about it. And I love when people ask me questions. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> social media can be such a um, a great tool. Yes. Um, to for For, you know, situations like this. Um, mm -hmm. when, because the, the, the one thing that as humans that we do when we're going through something, we feel like we're the only ones going through it. Yes. And, Absolutely. um, I know that we aren't, I know we aren't. And all it takes is a little vulnerability and I say that out of the the pure joy that I get from helping people, vulnerability is hard. I can only imagine how hard it was for you to prop up that camera and be so vulnerable in that first video. Um, yeah. But but what happens is that other people see your vulnerability and they see your humanity, and that's yeah. what they connect with. So they start to pour into you, which then pours into themselves. And it's just a beautiful cycle of uplifting and knowing that you're not alone at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's this vision of on Instagram and, and social media in general where everyone's showing these beautiful parts of their life. And really what people want to see is they want to be able to relate, you know, and I think seeing others, even for me, like, like I'm in this great community of diabetics on TikTok, especially that is just like real, you know, people talking about their awful blood sugar days and, and just these things happening. And it's nice. It's nice to, yeah, like you said, not feel alone. Cause even for me, like I felt so alone and now being, you know, part of these communities, I'm like, oh my God, people are going through the same thing I did. Like, it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah. That that sense of community um, makes life a lot easier to get through. You know? Absolutely. What, what tip um, that we haven't spoke about, like, aside from the diet and the exercise, what is another tip that you can share for to, for someone who who's going through 
similar situation um, with their health with type 1 diabetes? I would say find someone. It could also be outside of like your family and, and a spouse or a significant other. Find someone that you can really talk to. Uh, even if it's a therapist, I openly go to therapy. I absolutely love it. Uh, find someone to talk to because the way I, like, like I was saying earlier, the way I felt is like, sometimes you feel like a burden and you're like, these people don't want to hear me complain anymore, you know, and then they don't care about this, which they do, but it's just how you feel. So I would say find someone who you can openly talk to, who you can call up and say, I'm having the worst day you know, and just vent or cry because that's, it's really important. It's almost more important than just sitting in your closet by yourself and crying because I've been there too, <laughs> but yeah, find someone that you can really fall back on. And I say therapist is the first thing that comes to my mind because I've had friends kind of not turn away, but you know, I went through uh, postpartum depression after I had my son for about four months. And I felt like I lost a lot of friends. Like a lot of people were harder to, to reach out to because I was so sad and I was so like down on myself. And I was always like, life's so hard and I can't do this and I'm not going to be a good mom. And it felt like people were like, okay, you need to go over there and figure it out. And that's really hard. So it's almost like find an unbiased source that you can talk to. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what was that like? Uh, your postpartum, what was, I, I, again, I can't imagine. Um, so give us a little insight in what that was like. What was a, a day you wake up and then like go there, start there and then go into bed? Like, what did that look like for you? So uh, just to preface, I think a lot of people, cause I did think that postpartum depression is like, oh, I want to, you know hurt myself or mm -hmm. my child and it's so much more than that I never had those feelings um but you I would wake up you know after a night of waking up feeding going to bed waking up feeding going to bed he was you know just days old at this point you wake up and you go I can't do this again I can't do another day of this and you don't eat um I didn't eat at all um you don't drink you're just so submerged in these thoughts of like I'm not good enough I can't take care of this baby I I can't like and you think like I used to think like how long is it going to be until he's independent <laughs> and then my like oh my god years and years and I just would like spiral I was about to say that sounds like just a spiraling moment yeah and then you just kind of go, it's like autopilot. You go through the motions, you you know what you have to do. You know that the baby needs to be fed and changed, but you don't take care of yourself at all. You are on the back burner. And for me, that was really bad because I'm diabetic. I have to put myself first. And my blood sugars were all over the place. And just the whole day was gray. You know, there was nothing to look forward to. I didn't bond with my son for, for a little while, probably maybe even like over a month after he was born. I didn't have that. Like I was, it was more like, I can't keep him alive. I can't, I can't do this, you know? And, and everything was overwhelming and I was crying and, you know, to answer your question, just that, that would be the whole day. And then I, I would go to bed at night, hysterical and just like wrapped in anxiety because I knew in two to three hours, he's going to wake up and 
I'm not going to know what to do. Does he need a diaper change? What if this? What if he doesn't stop crying? What if I'm up all night? And I just would barely be getting any sleep. And yeah, eventually I was put on antidepressants, which made it a lot worse. So I decided to come off them. And uh, I just kind of went through it. I think it took about four months. With the last like two months, just getting a little better. Mm -hmm. But four months, the point where I woke up and I was like, okay, I got this. You know, I was like, and, and, you know, my fiance was there to help. He was, this was the midst of COVID. I had my son May, 2020. So, you know, my fiance was working for, uh, he was a financial advisor for a big uh, bank. And so he's getting calls every day, people freaking out about stock market dropping, things like that. So, you know, he's doing what he can to help me. He's going through his own, you know, uh, mental block with everything. And it was hard because nobody could come visit you. You know, nobody was allowed to touch the baby. Nobody could fly to see you. It was really hard. Yeah. COVID really took a toll. And we didn't even have it bad. Like, I won't even sit here and say like, oh, God, I know it was bad for a lot of people. We were lucky enough to keep our home and everything we had and, and we were healthy. But I know it was it was rough for the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to end this on a high note. Yes. Not that any of this was is sad. This is such a learning experience, and it's just real. You it know, is, it's, real. it's so it's so real. Yes, and these are the kind of, the types of conversations that we need to be having. Um, yes. So this this becomes less taboo. You know? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What, what right now, currently, what is the best part of your day? Huh. That's a good <laughs> I, so I'm lucky enough to be home with my son. Uh, so honestly, like the best part of my day, I think is when my fiance comes home after work and we all just hang out and we'll either go out or we will go upstairs and literally jump on the bed. And my son is the age where he's, he's almost two and a half in, in a couple weeks. He's communicating. We're able to have like full on sentences and he's just like, mommy, go jump on the bed. And I'm like, whatever you want, you can have it, whatever you want, you know? And it's just, yeah, those moments where it's the three of us, and it's like, I'm like, this is my family. Like we created him. And I know that sounds like super cliche. It's like, it's a miracle, but it is, especially because I was told before, like, you might not be able to have kids because kidney disease and diabetes and your blood sugars are nuts. Like, don't be surprised if it doesn't happen. Yeah. And it did. And uh, I just look at him and he's completely healthy and good. And he's just fun. And it, it really just kind of helps you like as overwhelming as it is to, to, to raise a kid and all this stuff we went through. It's like, you forget with time, like thinking back now, I'm like, yeah, I went through postpartum, but like, what was that like? You know, it's hard for me to remember those feelings. It's almost like every day now kind of builds new memories where you just remember the good parts. So it's just, he's so fun and he helps you to see like, you know, he's so excited about the fire truck and you're like the fire truck. And then even like, just 
saying things positively to him, it still comes out positively out of your mouth. So that creates, you know, those positive thoughts and everything's like fun and exciting and, and you're jumping around and, and you're playing with him. But then it's almost like you're just happy because you're jumping around and, and you know, <laughs> you're just putting out that good energy. So yeah, I think the best part of my day is just the three of us hanging out jumping on the bed <laughs> <laughs> jumping on the bed there's so much to be grateful for and that and that's that's beautiful um that's beautiful yeah. where where can yeah. we find you um and how can we support you you can find me i'm right now working out a great schedule for youtube because youtube has gone to the wayside a little bit but i am coming back um, so you can find me on YouTube, my first and last name. And then I'm also on Instagram. I have two, uh, two profiles, one more personal, one more like diabetes related. Uh, and then I'm also on TikTok, which is what I post every day on TikTok. So TikTok, it's just diabetic care, K-A-E-R. And um, my Instagram, my business one is diabetic care as well. And once you're on my Instagram, there's a link tree. You can find me everywhere. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Whew. Well, <laughs> this, this was so important. You know, um, I don't think I've ever been able to have a conversation with anyone with your level of, of knowledge and experience and lived experience because you did everything wrong. Like everything you weren't supposed to be doing and you, and you navigate it to what you're supposed to be doing. And now you're turning around and you're teaching others. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I do. I have fought this thought with myself where I was like, no one's going to watch my YouTube. I don't have some crazy knowledge. I didn't go to school to be a dietitian or an endocrinologist. But at the end of the day, it's just, yeah, like you said, just relatability and not wanting to feel alone. So I'm going to get out there and... and and be consistent and hopefully yeah i can help help some people but yeah but thank you that's really sweet of course and i know you're you're helping so many people and you you have so many more people to help so yeah yeah i have one last <laughs> final question for you of course what does resilience mean to you resilience is not giving up especially in those moments where that is all you want to do. Um, it's being able to, because a lot of times we make, you know, it's, it's like that saying, don't make permanent decisions on temporary feelings. Mm -hmm. So we have to look outside of those moments of being down so much and look at the future. What am I going to miss? Yeah. Who am I going to be? Where am I going to go? And just pushing and pushing and pushing. And you know what? Sometimes it's okay to sit down and cry your face off. It is okay. And, it, and it's necessary. That is a great outlet. But yeah, I think resilience is just not giving up, especially in those moments where it doesn't feel like there's anything tomorrow, but there, there's something tomorrow and there's something next Wednesday and there's something in 2028. You have no idea what's around the corner. And I've, I've learned that and it's, it's, it's worth it, you know, to just keep going. It absolutely is. Literally, resilience in action every single day. Waking up and, and doing yep. when yep. you don't want to, especially when you don't want to. That's that's the most important. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want that. Right. You're just like, hey, yeah, life is cool. But it's, it's, uh, yeah, those times where you're being tested, you're like, keep going, keep going. Because yeah. everything you want is on the other side. So keep okay. going because you're almost there. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Listen, thank you so, so very much for finding time out of your day of to course. connect with the old friend and yeah. share your message and your story with our listeners, because I know, I know, I know, I know someone is going to get so much information and feel empowered by what you were able to share today. Yeah, I hope so. I do. And thank you so much. When you reached out to me, I was just like, oh my God, I was both excited because I get to share my story and excited that I get to see you. <laughs> so thank you giving me the opportunity, I, I'm so grateful. Thank you. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate and review. And remember, resilience in action will always lead to a greater human experience. <laughs>